So I'm here with Steve Ross, and I'm explaining to Steve that I interview people who make their living or their life with an art. I've been very lucky about that. I must say. So I hear. So the art to which you are giving your life and making your living, how would you define that? I make music. Can you be a little bit more explicit? I recreate written music. I infuse songs from what is now known as the American Songbook, although it wasn't that way when I was starting out, for sure. They were just great songs. But I, uh, I put my own musical stamp in voice and piano on, on these great songs. I started off just, a, just playing in saloons, not singing, but then I moved to New York and when I was 30 and, and began singing then and realized that I never wanted to look back and that it was a, a very special thing to be able to do. I'm not taking singing for granted. I grew up in the 40s and the radio and all of that. They're singing and then my aunt sang and everybody sang, but I was really unaware that singing could be such a specific path to self-expression. Well, hold on a second, because I, I have a question I would like to ask you. Yes. Do you remember, can you tell me, the first time in your life that you discovered that you could sing, that you liked singing, that singing turned you on? Right. Good question. Uh, I started singing just as fun, to be with friends. Uh, and I was, uh, I had, I learned songs. I didn't learn them from the sheet music. I really didn't play much popular music. Okay, can you go back even further? I mean, did you sing when you were a child? No. no. I was a pianist from a very young age. My mother played the piano, and I just always played. She played by ear, and uh, it came naturally to me. I ended up playing by ear, too, when I was six or seven years old, and playing little songs on the piano. And it just was, has always been part of the, one of the things that I do in whatever other field I found myself. And um, so it's been uh, a long life with music. But that started then. Yes. And so then, then when I did you start to, to sing? Uh, the, so I started to sing, only, well, a little bit in the 60s before I moved to New York in 1968, just as a fun thing. There was a, a, a singer of whom you may know, who was very famous for singing the songs of the gay 90s and English music hall song named Beatrice Kay. Mm -hmm. And we had 10-inch 78s of Beatrice Kay, and I thought she was just so sassy and wonderful. <laughs> and I learned one of her English music hall songs, and that was the only song I ever sang. And uh, then I got a job uh, in Washington, D.C., and I sang a little bit then because I know that the people wanted to hear some singing, although I had a bass player who sang, took care of that mainly. Then I moved to New York, not thinking too much about it, just thinking that well, I Well, how are you making a living during this time? Playing in saloons, playing oh, little yeah, dance right. bands, all in there. After I left school, I spent, you know, from age 23 to 30, playing in cocktail lounges and, and dance bands and had my own little group and all that. And, and, then, and mostly in... In Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. Then uh, I finally realized I couldn't defer my trip up there. I, I was born in Westchester County, so I would go in and I knew New York. I went back and forth all the time to visit friends, but making the leap, making the final decision to cut the ties in Washington, and I wasn't, my friends, a friend of mine gave me a record of Bobby Shores, and he said, do what, you, do what he does, learn how to sing, and move to New York. <laughs> it's a slight <laughs> compression of the story, but, but that's ultimately what I did. 
And uh, but you learned to sing and moved to New York, really? But yeah. you already did sing and play. I, I was right? singing only a little bit. I never studied singing. And you never committed to it until then, I guess. Not until later on. So the first job I got, I was getting ready to go and work as a temp. But then the night before that was supposed to start, there was this bar that I was going to play at that I'd been guesting in, and. Uh, they lost one of the pianists. They said, would you like the job? And I said, yes, oh great, I'll be working in New York as a pianist. He said, well, we, we want you to sing, really, too. So it came from, as Sammy Khan says about the lyrics, it came from a phone call. This guy came from the manager. And he said, the, the main guy was already a singer. And I said, well, I can't sing like him. We had a big legitimate voice, but I started learning some songs. And I didn't know how to sing. Really? For, for years, I never knew when I sang. I sang out in smoke, smoky bars in those days. Mm -hmm. And I never knew what my voice would be the next day because I wasn't doing it right. Sometimes I, I had over years of being very concerned about my voice and losing my voice and going, taking all of the precautions, but still, I, until I finally got with some very good teachers. I've had about maybe eight or nine teachers over really? many, many years. And um, the last one, but one, that I'm studying now with somebody, but I, uh, she really helped me figure out how to support my voice, and so it was the great luxury of knowing whatever I sang or spoke or shouted in a noisy bar the night before, I would wake up with a clear voice, and that was a great gift that she gave me. That was about, maybe about seven years ago. So I um, continue to learn. I think it's very important to check in and learn and keep all that going. I don't study the piano, I don't practice the piano much. I feel, for whatever reason, that's there. But the voice, I, I'm so concerned. I don't lose it, it's a healthy voice, but I wanna keep on it. Well, know. yeah, if you don't produce the sound correctly, you could lose it. Yeah, but I, uh, I, there are a lot of people that keep doing it, and they sound hoarse and, and all of that. But I, uh, the singing, since you're asking about the singing, there was a watershed moment. Mm -hmm. So I was in my 30s, I was in New York, kind of studying, singing in these smoky places, not, not solid with my voice, and losing it, and smoking myself. Ooh. And, because uh, we all did. Oh, know? yes. And uh, I had a, a really an extraordinary moment. I was trying to stop, as you stop any of these addictions, for that's what it was, but I could the last one, I'll just do one a day. <laughs> I know people who do one a day, God bless them. I, I couldn't, I would have to be, then another card. But I went to hear Beverly Sills mm. in great performances in the Erling Center, and I told her this, I was lucky to tell her this, and I told her after, at the end of her show, or of her um, recital, she stood, sideways at the proscenium and sang this beautiful little Portuguese uh, loves lullaby that her teacher had told her. And I just was so enraptured, this hit me, by the beauty of that unamplified sound, the purity of it. And I said to myself, I said, you know, if you don't take care of this, smoking and everything that, and you might indeed have a career as a singer, wouldn't you feel foolish if 20 years from now you had no voice? Oh, yeah. So I was able to turn my thought around and I never smoked again the next day. It's the, the most important motivation you could have had. Well, I <laughs> sensed that I, 
I had a chance at it all. Mm -hmm. I, I came across an interview that I'd given maybe 20 years ago to a newspaper in Australia, and I was asked similar questions such as you're asking me. And they, what do you, how do you view your life, or what do you want from life? And they said, I want a long life in music. And I've been able to have it. I must have sensed that, sometimes deep, prescient things. So I realized I didn't want to screw it up. I didn't want to have a, any problems. I mean, uh, we all sabotage ourselves, and maybe you don't, but I do in other ways. But I didn't. But this was a controllable thing. I could stop smoking. Yeah. I could take voice lessons, and I could sing. I there's a I, I talk a little bit about that. I've talked a little bit about that in the past. I was a coach for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Vocal or just performance? In, in people pr preparing audition songs, mm -hmm. you know, and I would, they would I, that was one, I did that three or four hours a day, and then I worked four or five hours a night, <laughs> young and energetic as we were. And I tell this in, in an article that was recently written about me. I was try, a, a guy came in in the 70s, he said, I wonder, they, they want a contemporary 70s song. Ruffle through the yeah. Here's a pretty one. How about this one? I liked it. It was a song. Uh, well, you may remember it from it called "If" by the group Bread. If a picture paints a thousand words, oh, love yeah, everybody, yeah, loves every man melts in it. And I wanted so much for him to sing that. Yes. And I put myself I really at the piano. I said, "I'm going to transfer it from there <laughs> through me to his attention, soul, heart, mind," and. It, I sang it beautifully. Oh, I'm sure. But no one had ever, I'd never sung a ballad in public. I'd never sung a love song. Just funny songs because I was a word guy. I didn't have a voice. And I said to him, I said, would you like this song? He said, yeah, but you should sing. And I said, oh, no, no, I don't sing, I don't, I don't sing songs like that in, in the bar that I work in. Nobody's interested in my feelings about that. And, but a few nights later, I did sing it. And... Uh, I won't say, as I said, there was a harsh silence, but people's, oh, that was nice. So I, I realized that the power of accessing that romantic moment that is captured brilliantly in these marvelous gems of songs in general from centuries past, but in, in the American culture, these songs that have captured all of these moves, it's like the, that glitter ball that goes around and sparkles of light. That's what I view these songs as. So I, I tapped into that song for myself. And I wasn't necessarily trying to sell it, which was interesting. I just well, let me get through singing it. And how do I sing it? Oh, I know. I'll go and sing it the way I was trying to make the guy <laughs> know. I was trying to sell it to him in a way. But I thought, the more I feel it and the more sense I make of the words, he will get the idea. So, and that's what I've done ever since. I, I teach classes now and I try to make the students realize what the words are about. Mabel Mercer, the great mm -hmm. Mabel Mercer, the Dwayne of us all, uh, even toward the end of her life, when she didn't really have much of a sustaining or singing voice, but she read lyrics beautifully and played behind it. And it, well, it became poetry, which many of them are. They are light verse, or they're serious verse. And she still moved you. Lots of people who are wind up in the arts mm. have an idea early on. Oh, this, this captures me, and this is, you know, I have to sing, or I have to write, or right. I have to dance, or I have to draw. But you had a kind of evolution 
um, it, that's what it looks like anyway, mm. that, that you sort of started out, okay, play the piano, okay, sing, mm. okay, maybe perform a little bit, okay. And then these moments that say to you, not just this, but that, yes. you know, it's, it's lovely. And, and I don't think it's common. I mean, it's almost as though you tripped over it. <laughs> do, do, you, do you know what I mean? That's a good way to put it. Well, you always read stories about, you know, ballerinas. Oh, I was taken to the ballet and I knew I had to do that for my life. That's a common dancing yes. thing. Well, it's common. And singing for, also. I mean, right. you interview all these people and they say artists always start drawing. Yes, little, yes, yes. Well, I was playing, but I never thought it would be a life's work. Well, and not only that, even when you started to sing, mm. it, you, it took something or some while for you to connect to yes, the singing. absolutely. You and, know. and think that anybody could be interested in what I had to say musically. Yes, and uh, also how much you wanted to say it. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Yes, yeah. it's really an interesting... You're right, I did want to say it. Oh, there's no question. That when, when you were trying to get this guy to do F... Yeah. Somebody inside of you was saying, do this, this yes. speaks to I me. I think so. I was affirming that, even though inadvertently I was affirming that. Yes, you're using the word inadvertently. I'm thinking it's unconscious. Advertently. Oh, <laughs> unconscious. Oh, I you know thought that, about it that way. But do you, know, do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, mm -hmm. something inside of you is saying, this is mine. You know, oh. I could be off base here. No, I think it's a very perceptive comment, because it does come from a deep part of our consciousness. Yeah. Okay, so what I, what I was thinking was that your desire to sing, your connection to singing as opposed to just playing, your, your connection to the importance of what you were saying and your belief that others would be interested in it and then the power of that for you mm -hmm. um, seemed to emerge in a sort of evolutionary way hmm. for you. I think, yeah, I never thought about it. That. Yeah, it was a bit of a gradual. And as happens in, in life, the chance meetings, the famous chance meetings. Oh, tell me about them. Well, we, you know, that's what I believe very firmly in. I don't know whether, can you, can, whether can there's you, a deity, but I certainly believe in the power of chance meetings to change this life we have, this minute of life. Yes, know. the serendipity. Yes. So are you, are you thinking about the experience with Beverly Sills? Yes, or? I'm thinking about that for sure. Mm -hmm. and, there... and, my, and the young gent that I was trying to talk to yes. and persuade about singing and, and, and Beverly, those is, there were milestone events. And then of course me, um, meeting and the most significant as far as my vocal thing went, was about seven years ago when I was a, uh, before, uh, doing a run-through at a friend's house. And he said, oh, yeah, those high notes, oh, strange. <laughs> and they were, because I had, the other teacher had died and I hadn't studied for a while, and I get to get a bad habits with just doing all that. And I said, he said, well, you should study with my teacher. And he was very forthright, and I appreciated it because he linked me with one of the great people I've ever met. Who was your teacher? Maria Zorella. She, she started with me when she was 97. Wow. She'd been an operetta star in Europe. She came here for one reason or another, I think had a husband, and she never wanted to be a star. She wanted to be a teacher, and she was a marvelous teacher. She taught at SUNY Purchase, and she taught privately. And um, she saw me two or three times a week for years, for free. And I admired her more than I can ever tell you. She had uh, 
needless to say, it was a terrible life. Her husband was part Jewish, and he died. And, but uh, she was extraordinary and determined and uh, very musical, and, and she didn't take any sassing from me. Focus. You have to focus. She was the typical ma madame. Mm -hmm. But uh, we were very, uh, we respected each other and she came to my shows and she grounded me in singing again. So I, when I wake up in the morning, I know that I have figured out how to phonate. As I'm speaking, I'm doing what she told me to do. And even at 97, her speaking voice was an old lady's voice. But as sometimes happened, her singing voice was in another area. She demonstrated beautifully. You would have thought it was a 30-year-old sound. Wow. As I said, it um, was hard on me, but thank God she was. And uh, I met her, and that was marvelous. And it changed your life. It did change my life. And that's what it sounds like happened periodically, yeah, seemed, <laughs> you yeah. know? I mean, because clearly you did not sound, you, as you said, you did not start out thinking this was going to be your career or your life. Certainly not singing. I knew I, I had the feeling that whatever I did, although my parents, may they rest in peace, and my great, they never said you had to be a doctor or a lawyer. They let me do what I wanted to do. So, um, for one reason or another, I went into the seminary right after high school. Came out of that. Then I was drafted. Came out of that. Oh but my every goodness. place, every place I went. It was piano. The seminary I played, the, I was the organ, the organist for the church. And then in the army, I had, there was an entertainment section, I played the piano for shows. And, and then I just, all, the piano was always there. Yes. And I yes. came back from, I think the army or something like that. And uh, I think they wanted to get me out of the house. And she said, oh, my mother worked. And she said, oh, there's a guy in my office who has a little group. He might be interested in having looking for a piano, piano player. And I said, sure. So I met him, and there was this little roadhouse in Laurel, Maryland. And I went there and, and started playing, you know, show tunes. And then I got into a bar. It all kind of evolved. People say, did you have a five-year plan? No. No, but that's that's what is that's what's so clear about this story is that you simply followed uh, the breadcrumbs. <laughs> what <and, you know, laughs> well, I did, you know? and I had the phone call, and I saw it, and there's an opportunity. Yes. And I and well, I, you know how to say yes. Oh, that's an interesting observation. Do you understand? Are what there I people mean? who don't? Yeah, oh, many, most. Because they don't see the. Because they're afraid. Does fear stop the yes? interesting yeah. idea well I think when opportunities confront them yeah. uh, when when things show up for them mm -hmm. there are a number of things that people say about why they don't do it why they don't say yeah. yes but I think under all of those things is fear uh, fear that it won't be the right thing fear that I'll make a mistake fear that I'll be embarrassed fear that um, a fear that I won't be able to handle the success exactly exactly all of those, yeah. Exactly, all of those. But you didn't have those. You saw whatever came your way, you said yes to it. Okay, fine. And you knew, you knew what had meaning for you. You knew when you saw Beverly Sills that that... that, that I must have sensed it. In yes, the, absolutely. Or else I wouldn't have made that choice. No, that's exactly right. And you knew when this friend of yours said, you know, you really need to study and you should study with my teacher, you knew that was the right thing to yeah. do, right? And that's, I think... Very special and not very common, mm. because as you were saying, so many people who wind up in the arts start out with a very strong sense, I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to be a painter, right. I'm going to be a writer. In my experience, few people 
trust themselves as much as you seemed to have trusted mm. yourself? Yes, I suppose, but I didn't uh, know what else to do, you know. <laughs> the <laughs> French, the wonderful French phrase, faute de mieux. I mean, I just didn't know what else I would do. Even if you didn't know what else to do, that did not mean that you would follow these cues that life seemed to be giving you. Mm. But I really feel like that, that you had an intrinsic sense of what was right for you. Mm and that you followed it, and that you were right. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, but there, wasn't, there weren't many practical options. Make uh, a living, I mean, um, I, didn't, I wasn't really trained for anything else. No, but you could have gone on playing those little songs in those little bars. And not, yeah, you're right, I could have stayed and, Absolutely and just worked you as could a have. That's a career. Oh, I see, yeah. You know, yeah, but, but you kept, you, you emerged, <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, I followed a little bit of a what? star there. I followed a little bit of a guide, even without paying too much attention to it. It was a series of, uh, as you say, and you described it nicely, a series of uh, yeses, mm -hmm. a series of yeses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you know the Cando and Ebb song, Yes, from 70 Girls 70? Life keeps happening every day, say yes. It's exactly yes. a chronicle of, yes. of this thing. That's right, that's right. When the opportunity came, you could simply have ignored it and gone on doing what you were doing, but no. you didn't, no. right? No, I didn't. And, as, and as they say, you know, the rest is history. Mm. And um, so we should talk about the fact that you're going to bring this thing you discovered and have <laughs> dedicated your life to, to Sarasota um, yes. at Pritchard's Piano. At Pritchard's Piano. On, and, um, how do people get tickets? Well, the, it's a free event. It's a free event. Yeah, they just, they can call the Clark Dawson, who's at Pritchard's Piano. And, but, uh, well, how did that happen? It happened because I have so many friends here, and at this point in my life, reconnecting with friends yes. is of paramount importance to me. Yes. I may never see many of them again. Yes, I, I don't talk about that. I always say, see you soon. Mm -hmm. But uh, I have friends there, you know, of a certain age. Who, and the point is, I wanted to see them. I wanted to reconnect with them. I was on the west coast of Florida for the first time, working right. in a long time, on my way to Tampa. And so that's why I wanted to do it come what may. I have a very uh, assiduous agent, mm -hmm. and she said, what do you want to do? And he said, well, let's try this. Then we came across this piano company, the Steinway Agency, as you yes, know here. Yes, and they and, do the And they have little concerts. events there. Right. And I didn't think they had many non-classical ones, but right. she persuaded him, and he seems very up for it. This is my last question. Having spent a life with music, is there anything you would say about what that's like or what it's meant to you? It's given me, um, it's it, in the true sense of that French phrase, a raison d'être. Mm -hmm. It's been, it's given me a reason to be. I realize so much of, of that is, is a great privilege to be an American citizen and to, and all of the things that go with our very, very special, fortunate lives in this country and all of that. I'm not saying that I feel guilty about my work, but I am certainly aware that it's not something that everybody can do. It has given me a way to, dare I say it, assuage any guilt I might have by this gift, to listen to the public, listen to the people when they say, 
it's you, you know you, you help me and, and what is the what is the the Hebrew phrase Tikkun Olam is to heal the world, mm-hmm. one person at a time. It's not going to be a huge concert in the stadium that I heal with, but <laughs> and the Holy Father said recently, who am I to judge? Who am I to judge the effect of my music? I just have to keep doing it. I have to keep doing it. This is what I do. This is what I was put on here to do. And I am blessed by that. Of course, one is always apprehensive. Maybe the time will come when I can't, arthritis, whatever, that, that I'll just hope that I have enough gumption in myself to keep going no matter what. But for now, I continue to sing and I continue to make music and I continue to make myself happier than I ever dreamed I would be. And some people like it too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect place to okay. stop. Thank <laughs> you so much. Thank Steve you. Ross. <laughs>